Alright, if you uh, have a Bible, uh, please turn with me to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 7 today. We've been going through the book of Acts, talking about Jesus' mission for the church. Right? That we are to be His witnesses to the end of the earth. Uh, but what we've seen over the past few weeks past few weeks, excuse me, uh, is that this mission that Jesus' church has met some obstacles. That there are forces at work aiming to counterattack, move against the church. Uh, the first op- obstacle that we saw uh, was just outright threats and violence. We saw that in Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 5, uh, that uh, members of the church were arrested, uh, they were beaten, they were threatened to not speak in Jesus' name. Uh, And the way that they responded to that obstacle was by praying and by perseverance. Uh, They they prayed that God would give them the boldness to keep going. uh, And then they kept going. They they disobeyed the authorities and continued to speak in Jesus' name. And then the next obstacle we saw, we looked at this last week in Acts chapter 5, uh, was the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And the obstacle here was deception and hypocrisy. That this couple uh, brought their offering to God, but they were really less interested in God and more interested in the opinions of others. That while they were, they were worshipping God outwardly, they were actually fake. They were phonies, right? The, the danger here was phonies. Phony religion. Uh, and that, that falsehood, that phony religion was a threat to the openness and authenticity of the church. You can imagine uh, just how quickly that movement, the early church, would have fallen apart if that had been allowed to continue. And so the response then to that, and it's a rather terrifying response, is that God strikes them dead on the spot. Uh, and that and that should cause us to have the same reaction that it caused the early church. They feared God. They were reminded that God is a holy God, and that He does not He does not play games. As uh, as C.S. Lewis says in the Chronicles of Narnia, He is not a tame lion. Uh, and so the remarkable thing in both of those obstacles is that as the church moves towards uh, the world and does not retreat, that the church grows. In the face of hostility, the church grows. In the face of hypocrisy and judgment, the church grows. And so today we're going to meet yet another obstacle. This time, another, another enemy from within, another attack from within is division and distraction. And so let's uh, give our attention to God's Word in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews, because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It's not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, a proselyte of Antioch. Uh, 
These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. This is God's word, and like Him, it is holy and true and good. Let's pray and ask for His help in understanding it. Father, our prayer is simple this morning, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight. Lord, that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word, that you would draw us to yourself, that you would remind us of the grace that is ours in Jesus, uh, and that you would renew us and transform us by it. Lord, would you apply this word to our hearts? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if uh, if you've ever met kind of that that person who has everything going for them. I remember a, a guy that I went to school with. Uh, this guy was uh, was wicked smart. He was uh, he was PhD smart. In fact, that's what he was doing. He was this was in graduate school, and he was going on to uh, to get his PhD. So, a really smart guy. Uh, and uh, add to that, he was also. A very athletic guy. He was a uh, he was a colleg- he had been a collegiate soccer player. Uh, so not only was he really smart, but he was also really talented, and he was also really good looking. He was an attractive guy. I'd kind of hope you you know like maybe he had a crooked nose or some missing teeth, but no, he was really smart, really talented, and really good looking, and he was also really nice. So like really there was like, it was one of those things where like you couldn't even be mad that he had everything else going for him because he was also really nice and humble about it. Uh, which was really, really frustrating because you at least had hoped for like some chink in the armor somewhere. But, uh, but there did not seem to be one. And, and we can kind of feel that way about the early church uh, so far as we've read some of the descriptions that we've read. If you look at the end of chapter 2 and the end of chapter 4, they were devoted to the Word. They were selling their possessions and being generous to each other. That, that Some have even read those descriptions and, and thought that, that Luke is really over-romanticizing early church life. And it's easy to read those uh, and maybe even get discouraged and think that, gosh, why, why did they have everything together and, and we seem like we're such a mess? Uh, now, and it's true that, that God was using them in a mighty way, that they were excited about what God was doing and that, and that God was bringing more and more people into their midst almost on a, on a daily basis it would seem. And yet, thankfully, Luke also provides us with, uh, with scenes like this where we're reminded that they really didn't have everything all together. I think sometimes in our very pragmatic, everything looks so put together culture, uh, we expect that if, if God's going to work, then everything has to be perfect. And the truth of the matter is, nothing could be farther from the truth. That God is at work here in Acts, and that, but that does not mean that the early church was perfect. In fact, even as they increase, we still see that there's a lot of immaturity, that there are still flaws uh, and griefs 
Uh, and so Luke provides us with real history. So we're going we're gonna to look at this under three headings this morning. First, I want us to look at some dividing lines, how the church was, uh, how the church was beginning to, to, to divide and how that distracted them from their mission. And then second, I want to look at some uniting principles. And then third, a wise solution. So first, let's talk about the dividing lines. If you look in verse 1, the church is increasing. Uh, The number of the disciples is growing. But it does experience growing pains. As the church grows, so does uh, challenges. Um, And... And that's, that's good news for us, right? Because we, we know that there are always challenges wherever growth is concerned, right? That the, the presence of problems doesn't signal a downward spiral, that the, uh, that the church is going off the rails, so to speak. In fact, it, it stands to reason, really, right? That, that even though sinners have been saved and are being changed, they're still sinners, And so it would stand to reason that the more sinners you add, the more sin you're likely to encounter. And now that doesn't mean we welcome those things. That doesn't mean we we paste over those things or put a mask on those things. We need to deal with the sin in our midst. But we don't have to be afraid or we don't have to be shocked or put off guard that, that... We are brought in by grace. We are part of God's family by grace. And that means that we can approach uh, sin with that same grace uh, and confrontation. We don't have to be afraid of it. Uh, so, so what's the conflict here? What's happening here? So the, the conflict is both cultural and economic. Cultural and economic. Uh, first, it's a cultural conflict. Uh, this is a, a dispute between the Hellenists, as the ESV puts it, and the Hebrews. Now, the Hellenist would be Greek. Uh, one, one way to, to translate it is Greek-speaking Jews. So they would be ethnically Jewish people. There aren't, any, there aren't many Gentiles that are a part of the church yet. So these would be ethnically Jewish people, but they spoke Greek and a lot of their behavior had conformed to Greek culture. In fact, this is, this is, a, this is a division that actually goes back uh, several, several years even before this moment. And you, even in Jerusalem, you had Greek-speaking synagogues and Hebrew-speaking synagogues. So, so, the, so the division here is actually within the same ethnicity. Both, both of these people groups are Jewish people, yet some had conformed more to Greek culture, and some, uh, they were kind of like the hard core they only spoke Hebrew Aramaic they had they had they had kind of maintained a white knuckle grip on their on their Hebrew roots so to speak Uh, and so you see this tension between these two groups that had been historically present maybe even for a few hundred years but now has has come to bear in this Christian movement so there's a cultural conflict but there's also an economic conflict that the conflict here is between widows. Uh, now, taking care of widows, as we saw uh, in the passage that Zach read earlier in Isaiah 1, taking care of widows uh, has been a historic part of the Christian faith. It goes way back into the Old Testament. But that was part of, part of Jewish life was to care for the widows and the vulnerable. And the reason is because in the ancient world, to be a widow 
meant that you were without any means of income. That if your husband had died, uh, there was no 401k, there was no social security, there wasn't a safety net. That if your husband had died and and you had no children or your children weren't able to provide for you, then you were in a really bad spot. And so God had commanded His people from the Old Testament to care for, to look out for the widows. And so you have, um, you have this cultural and, and economic conflict uh, into which the, the, the church now has to speak. And I want to just point out one other thing. The, uh, it says that a complaint was raised. A complaint. That's the, that's the word in the Bible that's, that can also be said grumbling or murmuring. Uh, and that's a, that seems to be a, a favorite pastime of God's people. You can go all the way back to the book of Exodus. It's almost like a hobby. Uh, God's people, uh, far from being grateful, uh, far from being filled with gratitude, more often seem to be filled with grumbling. Uh, so they're murmuring and grumbling. And we see the same, the same thing now rearing its ugly head in, uh, in the early church. And so division begins to lead to distraction from the mission, right? The, the apostles, when they address the issue, say, it's not right that we should leave off uh, from preaching the word, right? That, that, that this, the threat of this division, the threat of this moment, is that it would pull the church away from its mission, uh, that it would begin to water things down. It's, it's really that old military strategy to divide and conquer. That's that's what Satan is trying to do here, is to divide and conquer the church. Because if you can get get your enemy, uh, if you get your enemies to fight themselves, then really they do the work for you and then you just kind of come in uh, and finish them off. It was actually a Roman military strategy. And I want you to notice too that the distraction is not replacing something bad, I mean, excuse me, replacing something good with something bad. It's not like the, the, the tension here is not between a good thing and a bad thing. Feeding widows is a good thing. Uh, it, is a, it is a critical thing, right? The, the tension here is what we would say maybe between word ministry and deed ministry. The tension is between speaking the word and showing the word. That's, that's the conflict. That's, the, that, that's, that's how the dividing lines are setting up. So how did the apostles answer this thorny problem? I want you to notice that as they do, as they put forward a solution, they actually demonstrate some key principles for us, uh, for church life. Look in verse 2. It says the twelve, the apostles, uh, the, the first witnesses of Jesus, summoned the full number of the other disciples. So they call a huge congregational meeting, and this would have been a big, a big meeting. Uh, there were probably about... 5,000 people at least that were a part of the church. So how exactly this meeting went down, I'm not, e- I'm not even sure how you have a meeting with that many people. But uh, they, they, they don't make a decision and then pass it down to the rest of the congregation. They call, they call everyone together. And they said, it's not right that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve tables. Now you may read that uh, and hear, oh gosh, these guys are just looking to get out of some... Hard work. 
They just want to go. They just want to go sit in their rooms and read books while the rest of us do all the hard work. That's not what they're doing. In fact, we're going to see. We have seen and will see uh, that uh, these men are more than willing to uh, to do hard work. Uh, and it's probably a little bit indicting of us. I remember actually addressing that objection to someone before uh, he was going through our, our deacon training process and we read this verse and he said, oh, okay. So they wanted to go sit on their hands while uh, these other guys did the real work. And that's probably a little bit indicting of us that we consider uh, things like prayer to not be work. In fact, I would imagine that if, both of, if, if most of us examined our, uh, our personal lives, I think we've probably found that prayer is, in fact, the hardest work. Uh, that it takes a lot of effort to, uh, to sit still and to talk to God. Uh, and so, so that's what the apostles say to the group. And so then in verse 3 they say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty, this necessary task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And so the, the first principle that they, uh, that they show us is that, is that word ministry is central to the church's identity and life. Right? They, they state it both negatively and positively. Word ministry is central to the church's identity. In fact, they realize that the church is not the church without the Word. But there are lots of organizations who can do uh, mercy care. But the one thing that sets the church of Jesus apart is the Word about Jesus. Without the Word, there is no church. It is the Word about Jesus that saves people. So for the church to remain the church, she must keep speaking the Word. But they also realize that works of mercy are crucial too. They are a crucial work for the church. They are a necessary work. That's what they say at the end of verse 3. And they realize that they cannot give themselves to both. They cannot give themselves to the primary work of the Word and to a proper mercy ministry. They can't do both well. And so that leads us then to the next principle, which is that the church works best when all of God's people use their gifts to serve others. Now, the word ministry is actually all over this passage, and we don't even recognize it because of the ways that it's translated. But the word ministry really means service. And you see it three times, and you didn't realize it. At the end of verse 1, it says, "...the widows were being neglected in the daily ministry, or service." Uh, you see it again at the end of verse 2, uh, preaching the Word of God that we should give up preaching the Word of God to serve or minister at tables. And then again, you see it in verse 4. We will devote ourselves to prayer and to the service of the Word. Now here's why I bring that out. I think it, I think it highlights the fact that ministry is very broad and there are different kinds of ministry. That oftentimes when we think about ministry, we think about the guy up front who talks way too much. 
Like if we're gonna, if we say, I mean, and it's in our common terminology. Oh, he's going into the ministry, and and what we mean by that is somebody is going into full time vocational ministry, the preaching, teaching of the word, etc. But if we're going to use the Bible's terminology, we should realize that ministry does not just re- does not just refer to the word, but actually is a broad term talking about all kinds of service within the church. In fact, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, that every member, in fact, this is one of the missions of our church, is we want to equip every member as a minister. Every member as a servant. Right? So... So it's not just the apostles who are doing the real work. It is the whole church. To, to put it another way, right? the mission is the same for everyone. The mission is the same for the whole church, and that mission is to introduce people to Jesus. That's what the church does. But underneath that mission, everyone has a different ministry. Uh, Paul talks about this in many places, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he uses the language of the body uh, and of the body parts. Right? And he says, not everybody's an eye, not everybody's a mouth. The body needs them both to function properly. Right? Uh, so, right, some people are ears, some people are eyes, some of us are that flap of skin on the elbow. Right? But, but not every part is the same. Not every part has the same function, but we're all useful. All the diverse parts of the body work together. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As God, as good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks, as one who speaks, oracles of God. Whoever serves, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. So the body's mission is to introduce people to Jesus and each person within the body has a ministry, has an area of service. And so, so here are the two principles. Uh, the church is not the church without word ministry and the apostles realize that. But they cannot be distracted from the ministry to which they have been called and gifted. And they realize that they are not called to every ministry within the church. That they are not gifted for every ministry in the church. And that gives us the second principle that the church must, everyone within the church must use their gifts to serve others. So what do they do based on those principles? And here's their solution. They call the body together and they ask for seven men to oversee this particular ministry. In other words, they delegate. They press ministry out. They don't hold it tight to themselves. They don't try to do everything. But they delegate it out to those uh, who would be called and gifted for that ministry. They entrust ministry to others. And I want you to notice how these candidates are described in verse 3. They have a good reputation. So that means they, they are known within the community and they've proven themselves within the community. And, and these would be good ways to identify leaders within every church. They have a good reputation. They're full of the Holy Spirit. Right? They are, they are spiritually sound. They walk with God. 
They're full of wisdom, so they're practically sound. They know what they're doing. These seven men are probably identified because they can administrate the mercy that, uh, that they're looking for. So these are not junior flunkies. Right? They don't just throw this out to anybody who can fog a mirror. They, they identify gifted candidates. And when the church selects these men, then the apostles lay hands on them to set them apart for that ministry. And it's what we call ordination. Right? It's the laying on of hands to set someone apart for a ministry. And what's the result? Look in verse 7. The Word of God continued to increase. The Word of God, not neglected, but focused on, continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied. So the church grows. And not only does the church grow, but it actually grows into new territory. Because it says a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So now this Jesus movement has begun infiltrating, if you will, the, the priesthood. right? These vanguards of the Old Testament order, these men who would have worked in the temple offering sacrifices, now they are beginning to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And so once again, Satan throws an obstacle in the way of the church. Division and distraction. Murmuring and grumbling that threaten to pull the church off course. And the apostles double down. They say, we're not going to be distracted. This is the primary ministry. We must focus on the Word. This is how, if we don't tell people about Jesus, we can feed people all day long, but if we don't tell them about Jesus, they will be eternally lost. So we must focus on that. And we must find people who are good at and willing to serve others in Jesus' name. And that's what they do. And the result is growth. The church grows. So let me conclude by asking these two questions. First, are you a part of God's story? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Jesus as the only way to know God? Are you a part of God's story? And if the answer to that question is yes... Have you figured out yet what your part of the story is? What role do you play within the church? How has God gifted you? And how do you use those gifts to serve others? And if you need an answer to either one of those questions, I would love to talk with you more. Let's pray.